Well, if you've tuned in today, the chances are incredibly high. You've got a great, big, bright, shining smile on your face after the Colorado Rockies have won themselves a series in 2020. And the best way that you can make sure that that smile is the best smile that it can be is by checking out our friends over at Green Mountain Dental Group, located there in Lakewood. They are the best damn family-owned and operated dentist you're going to find out there. You can schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam today and you'll get a free Sonicare toothbrush. But the best part, my favorite part, because I can be a little randomly nervous about going to the dentist sometimes with a doctor or any of those kinds of things. Having people around that can talk sports with you, that saw the game, that want to talk to you about Kyle Freeland, really can set you at ease, make you feel comfortable, and get you set to get your dentistry done. And if you don't worry about any of that stuff whatsoever, then you should be chomping at the bit, almost quite literally, to get down there to Green Mountain Dental. Because again, when you schedule that cleaning x-ray or exam, they hook you up with that free Sonicare toothbrush. In the air, deep right center field. Two-run home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers, he'll watch it go out. Chuck Nasty. Two-run home run, David Dahl. And Nolan drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. I don't want to lose your love tonight. Welcome in to the DNVR Rockies podcast presented by Strava Craft Coffee. Remember to use that promo code DNVR20 and you will get 20% off your entire purchase of that CBD infused, deliciously rich, potentially life altering Strava Craft Coffee. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. I am the managing editor of DNVR Rockies. With me, as always, is beat writer Patrick Lyons. And Patrick, we discussed today the Colorado Rockies' first series victory of 2020 after a 5-2 win over the Texas Rangers. Kyle Freeland, great start. Trevor Story, two-home run day. Fantastic defense out there. Uh, as our guy Chris comes in hot early saying, five runs in three games, pitching on fire. Almonte looked incredible. Too many choices for king of the game we got a couple here we're going to have to decide, but first, from an overarching standpoint, the series win on the road in Texas, a place where they've sometimes struggled, um, this is big. This was big to get this first one. It absolutely was. In, in a shortened season where every game is worth that much more to win the series, go up to two 2-1 uh, on the year, it seems crazy to say, in, in late July. Keep pace with the Dodgers, who don't play until Sunday night. Again, ultimately, it, it just kind of washes away any of those fears or any of those doubts, particularly as we'll get into with Kyle Freeland, with Wade Davis. And ultimately, you win ball games and you go, all right, there are some things we might need, still need to clean up a little bit. But for the most part, we're doing the little things well. We're winning ball games, and we're off to a good start. No monkeys on our back. Yeah, it's uh, you're exactly right. Any of the when you win the series, the things that you didn't do well are things you you don't have to dwell on that, that can be addressed, and the things that you did well are things that you just stick with and try to stay 
in a rhythm with doing, right? Where if this one goes the other way, you, you start asking some questions, even this early in a season, this short. Uh, DJ coming in saying, had to watch on the local Texas broadcast because I, I live in Dallas. And one of the postgame commenters called Story the best shortstop in MLB. Uh, he's certainly got a, a claim to it, to be sure. And if, if he's going to play like he did today uh, for, for most of the season, he, he's got an opportunity to. Now, he, you know, he's had some strikeouts early. Uh, not a ton of power going on, but the two home run day plus some flashy glove work out there at shortstop, man. Really impressive day for for the kid from Irving, Texas, not too far up the road. Yeah, he kind of jumped on that idea about being a hometown boy. Of course, had the first stolen base officially, right? We're kind of forgetting about the exhibition games. But the first stolen base here in this ballpark not too far from his the driveway that he, he grew up in. And then he goes in and he hits the first opposing home run um, uh, of any player and has the first multi-homer game. Right there. So again, it's just one of those cool little, you know, feathers in your cap when you're when you you play baseball for as long as Trevor Story has done now. It's his 15th multi-homer game. Uh, was in a tie with with Dante Bichette. So now I think he moves to to fifth all time for multi-homers, and not too far behind Nolan Arenado. And and Arenado had himself a, a three-year head start. So yes. you you see that that power that he has, that combination of power and speed. Uh, and as DJ mentioned, you know, the the announcers in Texas are noticing it. And I think a lot of people around the game are noticing it, you know, with, with back-to-back all-star appearances. He's a finalist for the gold glove. And kind of in our season preview, we, we both, I think, agreed that Trevor Story has the opportunity to maybe even be an MVP candidate this year. He was in 2018, but maybe because he plays a more uh, preeminent and, and marquee position like shortstop, plays as well as he does, got his first error out of the way after only eight last year. Now he could run the table 59 straight games without an error, error and next thing you know, 2020 MVP Trevor Story. Question mark? Yeah, the, I mean, if you think about the two plays, that the one that he made going up the middle to his left, reaching down, spinning across his body and firing to get the relatively fast runner there, we've seen him basically make an art of that specific play. We've talked to him about it personally, about how much he loves doing that. Then the other one that he didn't quite make, and, and I'll critique him slightly here. Now, it would have been a 10 out of 10 play had he made it. But I think he could have done a slightly better job when he was going to his left. Great ability to get to that ball. A lot of shortstops aren't even getting to the ball to begin with. Uh, then he got up. He didn't quite get on top of the throw. Instead, decided to kind of loft it and, and, and count on his arm strength. Didn't get the full body into it. I think if he does that, he makes that play. I think a slightly better execution of what he was trying for, he would have made it. And then you think about the distance between where he threw the ball in center field and where he threw that one across his body, the the range you could like, that's just an insane amount of ground for a guy to cover out there. 
if the throw was on target, I think it, it would have beat him because you saw where Murphy had to catch it on the opposite side of the bag right. there. But that yeah, that was one of those plays you go, oh, this this one's going to go in the highlight reel and, and just wasn't able to get Solak, who's a, he was kind of a sneaky quick runner. But it's funny, he so that play you're talking about going up the middle, he ended up getting Elvis Andrews, who I think when Elvis Andrews made his debut with the Rangers 12 years ago, Trevor Story was a 16-year-old high school student who idolized Alex Rodriguez, you know, Adrian Beltre, all those guys from the Texas Rangers, his hometown team. And there he is, you know, getting them by a step. And I think he did it Friday night, too, where he uh, he, he, he kind of begrudged Elvis Andrews of, of some, some more uh, offensive acumen. So, again, he's he's slowly, you know, it's only three games, but shoot he's been doing it in, in one form or another for the past four years and we're seeing you know Trevor story uh, emerge as of right now and you and I like the idea that he's emerging because anytime Trevor story goes out and is the first one to do something it is almost immediately followed by Nolan Arenado being the second and third and it's you know anything you can do I can do better and those two guys have such an amazing you know, relationship, you know, not just off the field in the clubhouse, but on the field of like, all right, let's go. They, they push each other in such a positive way that, you know, Tuesday, you can guarantee lock it in. Nolan Arenado will have a home run in Oakland, probably against starter Daniel Megden. And it's, it's just going to be, again, more back and forth. Story's up 2-0 on Arenado and he's going to be thinking about it for the next 48 hours. I got to get I got to catch up with Stowe. I got to catch up with True. Right. I I I think you're right. I think I wanted to go a little bit outside of the box here and and give maybe make the argument for Kyle Freeland to be our draft king of the game, but when a guy hits two home runs, plays fantastic on defense, um I, I think you've probably got to give it to story in this one. Um, it, 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 it's a tough call because what Freeland did, and we'll get into this in a minute, or maybe we can get into it right now, but like the first home run that story hit, right. Is indicative of this whole conversation we've been talking about where I don't, Nolan doesn't hit that home run very often. Very occasionally, and you can even go, it's not even just opposite field. That's a natural strength home run. That first one he hits on a fastball low and away from him, from a left-handed pitcher who'd been a little bit wild right there. He'd thrown several out of the zone. He had just walked uh, David Dahl right before that. It's a 2-0 count. There's a mound visit. Story goes, I'm getting a fastball. I'm just going to put the barrel on it. A lot of guys do that in that situation. They had a line drive right at the right fielder, maybe just right down the line, maybe into that gap. Over the wall, there's maybe 10 guys in baseball who, and and I'm being generous when I say that, who are really going to do that with any kind of regularity. You'll run into one every once in a while. But Story gets those balls, and, and that was the one that tied it up, that two-run shot, like, if he's going to make a habit out of hitting that ball, he can't fall susceptible now to the slider that's going to kill him on that same type of pitch. But, man, that's that's a tough ball to hit out. It's not necessarily a tough pitch to hit, but to hit out. The the swing he puts on, on some of those opposite field blasts 
A, it, it reminds me of, of Derek Jeter, the way he was able to go, you know, the opposite field. And he had some sneaky sneaky power, and he put a couple out that way, but but not that frequently. The other guy that's probably the, the better uh, comparison, I'd love to see an overlay of their swings. And, and kind of when I close my, my inner eye, I kind of see them as having very similar swings, and that's Mike Trout. That's a guy when he just kind of just puts good wood on the ball to the opposite way, you go, well, shoot, look, look at that, you know, a home run to, to right right center field. The interesting thing was that ball only went 362 feet, and according to StatCast, it had an expected batting average of 160. So that's 16%. 16% of balls hit there are just hits. And yet somehow in this ballpark where it didn't seem like there was a lot going out, you know, Nothing, some yeah. of it had to do with the humidity, um, he goes and, and finds a way, and then that second one into the uh, second deck uh, went traveled 424 yeah. feet, that, 880 that, expected batting average. That's a no doubter. That, that was a big hanger. And, <laughs> and that, that was one that lots of guys in major league baseball can hit out, but Trev still does with an extraordinary uh, uh, pace. So yeah, I think, I think we got to go with Trevor's story, our draft king of the game, but with uh, really some dramatic apologies. And let's, let's, as I said, in my, my, my Hamilton toast on, uh, tweet, tweeter sphere here. Raise a glass to Freeland. Raise your Breck brew to Freeland at this moment. Crack open one and and toast to his first start of 2020. I'll be drinking that Mile High City Copper Lager just a little bit later on. Did get it to me uh, delivered here by Davidson's. Uh, it's one of my favorite ways to make sure that I'm being socially distant and being responsible and making sure that I'm not going out unless I really need to. And then when I am out, if I'm already out, one of my favorite places to swing by is the farmhouse because you can call ahead of time at 303-803-1380 from noon to eight. Uh, You use code DNVR, you save five bucks off both the food and the beer. And yeah, you can just pick it up, swing on back to your place, watch more baseball, and make sure that you're getting yourself well fed, well drank, I suppose. Well drunk, actually, I suppose. <laughs> 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 I kind of walked into that one. Hey, drink responsibly, uh, but drink Brett because it's it's damn good beer. And as I said, toast this one to Kyle Freeland because you very easily could make the case that, hey, great, Stowe hit a couple of bombs. It's going to happen. <laughs> we know it's going to happen. He picked up a ball up the middle. He spun, he threw it to first. Seen it. What Kyle Freeland did today was far more important for what the Rockies need moving forward. Six innings of two-run baseball. Patrick, I'll let you get into the details here, but they will take that out of Kyle Freeland every single time. Yes, it was the it was the most pivotal player or performance, if you will, for the season, not for the game. Again, anytime you hit those two home runs in a low-scoring affair like this, you are the king of the game, the DraftKings Sportsbook king of the game. But Prince Freeland was still great in, in six innings pitched, four hits. He did have three walks, but he struck out five guys. He got two double plays that were really key, uh, gave up two earned runs, and I would you know, surmise that maybe only one of them would have been a true run. Of course, the Joey Gallo home run, a guy like that, I mean— is he's he's a beast we know that when he's he's healthy and, and he looks to be this year in the middle of the rangers lineup but yeah healthy young second, man and he, oh, he he's, is. He's, he's healthy but <laughs> the second run he gave up though that that next inning and you go 
Shoot. Uh, mm, it's, this is not what you really want, especially at the bottom of the lineup. But David Dahl goes to lay out for a catch, grabs it, but doesn't. I forget what the if the NFL and the MLB have have the same rules with with footsteps with how do you know it's officially a catch through he the process it, yeah and it was kind of as if as he was sliding his his maybe his wrist turned over the ball came out it, essentially i, I think he caught he it <laughs> and uh, yes um so the ball <laughs> did yeah. come out uh so ref schneider got the double and one thing led to another and that run ends up scoring but you know ha- if that goes just for a single so really that should be a single and an error and if even if that were the case that would not have been an unearned run regardless but he puts runners on first and second base before he gets the double play uh, against Danny Santana for two outs walks Joey Gallo wise move then gets Rugnet Odor to pop up to story and you go all right Escape that jam. That looks solid. That wasn't entirely your doing. And from there, you know, goes out and, and, and pitches only one more than the minimum, walks a guy, but then immediately turns around and gets that double play, strikes out two uh, in his, his final inning of work from the middle of that lineup, Santana and Gallo. And you say, yeah, Prince Freeland is back in action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that. Just so you know, there is not a draft Prince app out there, but just yes. the draft king, just the draft king. We're working on it. If we sell this hard enough, we can make it work. But we'll let yeah, DraftKings have it. They can yeah, have it. They, they, they can have that. Um, yeah, and I saw you know from the get go the changeup in particular was working well. He got the first two outs of the game on it. He was locating it where he wanted to. That had been a problem for him last year. He was able to get some fastballs inside and up on right-handed hitters. Again, he had struggled with that when he was trying to go up and in last year, leaving it too much over the plate or kind of getting run that he didn't want and somebody asked me and I wish I could remember now um who was on Twitter about Freeland's delivery in particular and why he took that hesitation out and a lot of it had to do with this particular issue he was getting a type of movement and location command problem he didn't want uh on these inside pitches and you could see him working it Early on, he was getting change-ups and fastballs inside. Then he started working everything else. The curveball was getting swings and misses. I thought that was really interesting. So, um, yeah, the the fastball to Joey Gallo in the second, I think, was more or less where he wanted to throw it. You want to get that a little further up and in if possible, but it wasn't a terrible location, and he's trying to come up and in, which is where the pitch was. Um, but at 92 miles an hour, uh, you know, if you can dial that up to 94, 95, we've seen Freeland do that before, but maybe more in a midseason form. Maybe you can blow it by a guy like that. Risky pitch. You live with solo home runs, like you said. All the that, That's really the only pitch where you go, well, okay, you're, you're not going to get away with that too often. A 92 up and in if you don't really get up and in there. Beyond that, he didn't make any mistakes out there. And uh, that's just completely the opposite of the Freeland we saw a year ago who was prone to mistakes at the absolute worst possible times. That's absolutely right. And and outside of the homer, there was only the that extra base hit that we said that, that Dahl you know, could have played as a single, nearly got it for an out. But again, look beyond that. The, the numbers show six ground ball outs versus just one fly out. And, you know, again, just was able to, to keep the ball on the ground and, and, again, get those double plays when he needed it. So yeah. it, it just it really allowed him to 
kind of go back to what what made him successful again the the the, the flamingo leg that hesitation just allows him to get his body you know over over his legs a lot more so he gets that push off and release and it just makes for a better overall package maybe it's not as deceiving maybe it's not as uh, unique obviously but Again, it's all about the results, and, and the proof is in the pudding today. And you, you got to say, man, all right, these guys, they're, they're, they're looking really great. And, and Freeland had really you know, pitched the best uh, in, in this entire series, went the longest, and yet he was the one who gave up a, a hit first, right, and gave up a run first because you had Marquez going into the sixth inning with a no-hitter, and I think Gray was into the fourth inning on Saturday. Right. So uh, maybe not no-hit stuff, but... Again, you know, shutout stuff or, or just stuff to keep your team in the game. And, and that's what he did. And after he gave up the second run, that's when Story comes in to tie it up. And immediately, you know, Blackman ends up scoring on that sacrifice fly by Ryan McMahon. So he kind of gets off the schneid a little bit, did strike out two more times. But, you know, a, a team effort in a lot of ways. And, again, the story for the season is looking good because Kyle Freeland came back today in a, in a real nice way. Yeah. Well, the innocent asking, you know, is it 80 pitches through those six innings? Does he look ready to go deeper? And I had somebody, you know, I asked man, people asking, could he have gone out there for the next inning? Maybe deeper into the season you could. And I, and I'm, I bet Bud Black considered it. I bet you honestly, he did, but I like that decision there. It's of course he's just well, look, yeah, see Almonte did what he did and we'll get to that. Um, but that at 80 pitches and also with him already having had the success six innings two run ball you feel good about that especially because as we've said here the one really didn't feel like it was that much your fault plenty of shady defense behind you and you can walk off the field you can close your first start head held high you know there there were a lot of nerves i'm sure for everybody going into this one if it went the other way we had talked about if that first close for wade davis had gone the other way what that would do for his confidence, the confidence of the team. Same thing with this first start for Freeland. So you could maybe put him back out there. Really no reason to push it, especially because if it does turn into a 20-pitch inning, now you're in a real problem in multiple ways, right? Uh, but I do think that next time out, if he's pitching like he was today and he's at roughly 80 pitches, we may see him go back out there for, for a seventh. Yeah, you you look at the risk reward, and man, there was just just too much risk, right? All right, he's done after eighty pitches, six innings of work. How do we feel about that? We feel like you know Freeland's Freeland's back. He took a major step forward, and you know obviously it would have a long way to go for him to to reclaim that twenty eighteen version of himself. But all he's trying to do is get twenty nineteen past him, and he does that. That's already a win. You go ahead and put him out, and he walks a guy, gives up two hits. You got two guys in Todd Frazier, who's a veteran hitter, who who will hit a mistake very far. Willie Calhoun mm-hmm. hit 20-plus home runs last year. I know those these aren't players that you know, NL West fans, you know, know terribly well, obviously spending some of their career in the American League. But those are guys that can turn a six innings, you know, two-run performance into two swings. That now is six innings, four earned runs, and now you're you're losing 4-3 at that point. So 
it's it's a win-win situation and you get the bullpen a little more exposure we had talked you know all off season about how the pitchers they're they're going to go a little bit light with them in the early going and it hasn't been as light as i had originally anticipated and you've seen it all around the league a lot of guys going deep lance lynn threw 108 pitches mike minor on saturday night threw 98 pitches and ultimately the difference is just the the time of the year and the heat and so these guys are ready to go deep but you got to get your bullpen ready too they are an important part of all of this, of winning ball games, and you say, Freeland, nice. You can feel good about that. You want to feel better, but that's all right. We're going to keep you chomping at the bit. Save it for your next start against San Diego at home. Meanwhile, hey, Yancy Almonte, let's see what you're capable of in 2020. Let's let's get into that before we do, because this is going to be really, really fun. Another thing I know that is really really fun is my new favorite video game and no it's not the final fantasy 7 remake actually well okay my second favorite video game wgt golf from our friends over at dnvrgolf.com i got that backwards go to dnvrgolf.com and check out wgt golf from our friends at top golf it's a really really fun totally free golf game you can play on your phone or your computer we've got country clubs for all of it we've got we've got our third now we officially have dnvr3 because that's how much people out there have been loving it you can come and play against us on the dnvr staff or just in the community talk a little bit of trash play some closest to the hole or full stroke play on world famous golf courses like beth page black and saint andrews it is a blast you can join us in our discord chat on the lounge again only for dnvr members the game however totally free for everybody out there in the world so you've got nothing to lose go to dnvrgolf.com download wgt golf today so got a the 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 comments here are popping sir patrick lyons with talk of your boy who would have thunk it Yancy Almonte, Sean coming in. Definitely did not expect that out of Almonte. Great pitching. K Swag, 34, coming in. If Almonte can do that consistently on days our A guys are down, our bullpen can become a strength. How about that? Rockies bullpen, a strength. But uh, both of those things are correct. Now, a little bit ahead of ourselves, but Patrick, we had the conversation on yesterday's podcast sort of power ranking the most impressive bullpen or just pitching performances in terms of like guys who had gotten themselves into a lot of trouble and then worked out of it and done some pretty amazing things. If you're giving the award to just the best, not the most impressive and all this, (laughs) just the best performance out of the bullpen in this series for the Colorado Rockies, you're giving it to two shutout innings and one barely dinky, winky little hit on that play that Story didn't quite make from Yancy Almonte. The the guy you had making the roster, your guy that you were much more confident in coming into the season than I was. 100%. 100%. Yeah, you, you, you said it all for me. It, it was it was the most impressive, you know, performance uh, that we, we've seen from a reliever, three strikeouts. My my favorite moment in that, you know, besides just, just seeing him, you know, pound the strike zone uh, through 20 of 28 pitches, four strikes, uh, just, just looked wow. fantastic. My favorite moment was after he got, I think it was either the first or the second out. Or actually, no, it was after the single. And you kind of see maybe Almonte sneaking a peek over at the third base dugout to see if Bud Black's going to go. Because you got Tyler Kinley and James Pazos 
warming up in the bullpen and you go, all right, you're going to probably see one of those guys. Danny Santana is a switch hitter. So maybe you want to push him to the right side with Gallo coming up on deck. So you go with Pazos and Bud Black was looking down very clearly being like, I want you to know, Yancy, that my body language says I am, I, you got this. I don't care about anybody in the bullpen. I have no second thoughts, second doubts, none of that. This is your guy. And he went out and he got it done. He got a strike out of Danny Santana in I think it was in three pitches. Yeah, Just looked gave amazing. A little, little fist pump into the fantastic. into the leather. He shut it down real quick too. Like like you can tell I think he wanted to show more emotion than he did. Uh because this guy's been through the ringer. Let's let's understand. Like he's he's had his ups and downs. He's gone from, you know, uh Promising, like he had a real rough go of it uh, in the Chicago White Sox organization as a minor leaguer. Then he comes over to the Rockies. He starts to find his footing. He really starts to hit his stride as a starter. Starts to get some buzz about him. But then the Rockies actually suddenly found some starters. He's like, "What did I come along at the absolute wrong time?" They're like, "We're going to turn you into a reliever." Doesn't make any issue about it, but kind of struggles in this new role, trying to figure out exactly what he's going to do. One of his better pitches is a changeup, and you don't see that in relievers very often. So he had to kind of reinvent himself a little bit here. Uh, and there just hasn't always been a spot. So every pitch he's thrown at the major league level has been for his job. And, and it hasn't always been to the best of results. And so when he went out there today and did that, you could almost see like two years of, I, that's what I've been doing at the minors. That's what I, what I believe I'm capable of. And I finally saw it happen in front of me at the major league level. And you see who Bud Black and the coaching staff has the most confidence in because they had been pumping up Tyler Kinley a lot as being a guy that was going to make those appearances late in the game. We know Estevez and Diaz were not going to be available as they'd already pitched the first two games. Later on down the season, you could possibly see them in three consecutive games. You knew Wade Davis was going to be needed for the ninth. Scott Oberg is on the I.L., you don't have Brian Shaw and Jake McGee, who, by the way, already threw two innings in L.A. He's pitched in both of those games, pitched yeah. well. Yeah. But you, you say, well, who's that next guy? Who is the next Estevez? Who's the next Jairo Diaz? And it wasn't Kinley. It was actually Yency Almonte. And then to see him go out and, and do that over the course of two innings, it says, well, shoot. Is that what he is now? Not a long reliever, but a guy that can get two solid innings, which we've seen Carlos Estevez do. We've seen Jairo Diaz do. So now you're not even talking about a one-inning setup guy. You're talking about a guy capable of two. And if you're able to get two, especially with that changeup, you have that potential to be a closer at some point. And the Rockies have plenty of depth there right now. But it does make you think a guy who is really only in his second possible season somewhere down the line before he hits free agency. Maybe we're looking at 20, 22, 23. This could be the closer of the future for your Colorado Rockies. Right. And in the meantime, you know, okay, Swag's talking about, hey, when the A guys are down, if Almonte steps in and does this, this is great. That's that, And that's a phenomenal role for him to be in. But as you're talking about, now he's got an interesting candidate for this. Hey, especially still early in the season, if Sensatella goes five strong, gives up one inning, but has kind of emptied the tank and thrown 90 pitches at that point, you want to get him out of there. And your A guys are available, but you want someone to pick up the sixth and seventh or the fifth and sixth. If maybe a Sensatella, he's, he's done it in the fourth inning. And you go, Almonte, 
you're the guy for that job now and you can just keep working up and up the totem pole if you can get that stuff working for you. And the other thing, Patrick, that I thought it was, was one of our first of many, and there's a few more that I want to talk about, indications of Bud Black maybe managing slightly differently than you would in any other year. I'll put this into riding the hot hand category. I think Almonte pitched so well and so efficiently there in the seventh, because as you mentioned, he had Kinley and Pazos up. So I think it was, look, if that was, if he starts to show a little bit that the sharpness isn't there, and that's why his head's down, right? Because the sharpness was there. His problem was not hard hit contact. And so he was riding the hot hand, where in another year, maybe you just go, hey, look, one inning's enough. I'll go to the other guy I was expecting, Kinley, just because that's what I was expecting to do. I'm going to go more by the book. Um, and there was another move that we saw later that was much more indicative of that than I want to talk about. But I, I, I think this we may see that more in the bullpen as well, and, and that's going to be interesting to keep track of. There definitely could be a tendency here for all 30 managers and all 30 coaching staffs to try to do too much because – here we are at the end of July when we should be to the trade deadline. We should already know who's a contender, who's a pretender, and who's already figuring out who they're going to draft next June in 2021. And we have no idea who that is because we've just gotten started. And you've got these these guys that are that are maybe ready to go six, seven innings because it's a little bit warmer out, but you got to make sure you don't have any, any strains going on there. You, you, you have the, the injury bug that's still out there now, even though it is warmer, we've seen a lot of guys get banged up. You have bullpens that have more guys than normal. Same thing with benches. And so you want to keep those guys fresh, get them into games, but at the same time, you need to win this game. You need to ride the hot hand, and that's absolutely what Bud Black did. You would have understood if he would have went a different way and said, Yancey, you did a great job throwing that seventh inning, but let's go to somebody else in the eighth, Davis for the ninth. And he said, you know, I, I'm feeling good right now with what Almonte's doing. And he stuck with him, and it paid off in, in such a major way. And it's it's just this different kind of managing style that I think – is going to make the difference. And it's not going to be right every time either, but it was right. undoubtedly, and it still would have probably would have worked out, you know, going with Kinley or Pazos for that sure. eighth inning, but it worked out and it just makes things all that much more promising going forward for the bullpen. Yeah. Yeah. When you take a kid like that and you instill him with confidence that he's not someone you were necessarily expecting to count on, and maybe you can turn him into somebody that you can count on. Now that bullpen is, Daniel Bard is in that category as well. And so, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. And then, of course, the final note on the pitching. Uh, again, if you're looking for promising signs for the future, I harped on it during yesterday's podcast about the location of Wade Davis's pitches. Much, much better on Sunday afternoon. Had that curveball working good. Had that cutter. I'm not sure he threw a four-seam fastball. Maybe he just recognized that those were the two pitches that were working. Uh, but Wade Davis with a three up, three down. Yeah, he did have a three run lead. It's a little bit more comfortable of a save, but don't act like you haven't seen him blow those before. You know, it's it, it, it could be out there. And so even his ability to go out and pick up a, a three run save uh, and do so pretty quickly and comfortably there is a good, good sign compared to what we saw a year ago or yeah, even 
Saturday. <laughs> well, yeah, threw 28 pitches on Saturday, right? And it was was iffy. You know, he he did give up a run. I think that was actually the only run that the bullpen gave up in this series. All the other runs were by the starters. And you know, I mentioned on on Saturday's podcast or Saturday night, Sunday morning, depending on when you listen. I referenced Edwin Diaz as another one of those closers who you know needed to get off the Schneid, and he went out game one. Did, did an excellent job, shut down Atlanta, got the save, and ah, feeling good. Well, what did he do Saturday night? He blew the save, and now you're back to square one, and you go, I don't know if I should be comp, you know, confident in my, my closer. Is he competent? I don't know yet. He's now going to have to do it two more times before I can be convinced that everything is fine. Well, Wade Davis has now done it. Might not have looked great the first time, but when you do it on back-to-back days, you, you, you get those saves, you feel just that much more better, you know, exponentially yep. better. And yep. that's, that's just fantastic. And I, I think the fact that there are no fans is such an interesting element, especially in a game in which you fail so often and so frequently. And pitchers, it seems as if they have so much more success than not because, you know, even if you give up four runs in five innings— you got a lot of guys out, didn't you, right? Yeah. And maybe only 60% of the guys you got out, but you got more out than, than not. But every pitch is a win or a loss. And all of that can just really add up. And when you take that kind of mental element out of the fans, whether they're home, whether they're away, whether they're rooting for you or against you, whether they're wearing purple or not, and sometimes they'll, they will wear purple root against you and it just breaks your heart and we've seen that happen with this bullpen time and time again and that's now not a factor so who knows again all 30 teams are going to benefit from that but that could be just just a great element that so far seems like it is benefiting the colorado rockies bullpen yeah uh they uh, that's a that's a really good point and another thing we'll have to keep our eyes on moving forward and again it's something that they needed to see on a day when we received news from Thomas Harding that uh, Bud Black has said that Scott Oberg is doubtful for the home opener for the Rockies, which means it still shouldn't be too much more long after that. And again, doubtful doesn't mean they've ruled it out. Um, but still, that means at least for the first week, couple of weeks here, you need these guys to do their thing. It's that much more important that Davis be your closer for now. And he even knows now, like, Hey, look, if I do this thing, but he's not going to move me out of the role. I like closing. Actually, he's got money to win here. He's straight up got a con. Like if he finishes 11 games and the only way he does it is if he's saving them and doing well, he's got an opportunity to win that job. And if he does good for him, you earn your money in this world, man, way to go. Like they wrote it into the, the contract, but um, then you can slide Scott Oberg right into that fireman role when he comes back and you don't have to pigeonhole him into the ninth if you now have confidence in Davis to do this thing. So there are so many positives out of what you're getting from Davis right now, even if you fans out there are still not fully bought in that, that he's back yet or you want to see him at Coors Field. That was a big issue, too. Remember last year, the splits were ridiculous. He was fine out on the road. So, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. But um at least going to Oakland, still on the road, you, you've got to feel a lot better than than you might have otherwise. Yeah, two and one uh, after this Rangers series. You got two games coming up 
against Oakland, a, a, a night, then a turnaround quick for uh, a day game. So those of you that are uh, have to get out and go to work, you know, you, you might miss a couple innings or you might have to sneak in a couple innings uh, on Wednesday afternoon, but then they're off on Thursday before returning back for a three-game series against the Padres, four games against San Francisco, and it's just a real good kind of slow burn to start the season where even if you go one and two, it's against the Rangers and not a divisional opponent where, again, if we're saying every game is worth three times as much, how much is a game against the Padres, the Diamondbacks, the Dodgers, right? It's worth just, again, so much more. And But you're two and one, you go up, maybe you take a split with, with Oakland here. And, and you just feel good about your chances, and, and you know you're going to be getting back probably the best arm in your bullpen and, and Scott Oberg pretty much at, at the right time. You're going to have an idea of, of who is emerging in the bullpen so that when the rosters do get cut after that two-week mark, you know who you want to keep around for that, that 28-man roster. Probably going to be one pitcher, probably one bench player, because we didn't see the bench get too much action. They did have that somewhat line change with the left-hander Mike Miner on Saturday, so a lot more right-handed bats were there, like Chris Owings, Garrett Hampson, Matt Kemp. But Josh Fuentes yet to see uh, any action so far. Uh, Elias Diaz, again, hasn't seen anything. So, again, they're... The Rockies are in a good spot right now looking forward, and they've, they've, they've got some room to, to make moves, to, to cut guys off the roster if they need to and, and not feel too bad about it because it's lining up so far. It's only, it's only three games, but it's, it's looking good so far right now for Colorado. I want to finish this thing off talking about the offense and particularly some of the creative and versatile things they're doing with their offense, which of course reminds me, of the versatility of some of my new favorite athletes out there in the world. That's right, rugby players. Believe it or not, man, you want to see some athletes that can do it all. You got to come out to Infinity Park in Glendale, the new official training center for the men's and women's USA Eagles 15 teams, making Colorado the place to be for rugby in the United States. You got to check out all of Colton's stuff on DNVR Rugby. Check out the podcast. Make sure you're following him on Twitter. Uh, it's a blast of a sport to watch. So much fun. Uh, I promise you're going to get into it, especially because the best in the world are making their way to Colorado. So you you want to show that Colorado can be the place for a new sport to grow out there in the world. Well, then come on out and support your Colorado rugby urge, rugby ends, the men's and women's USA Eagles, man, it's going to be a lot of fun. Rug bites or rugrats. I think that's right. Oh, um, if your kids play rugby, they're rugrats. Rugrats, for Book sure. It. Nobody Done. owns that. Done. You could just throw that on a shirt. You're not going to have any legal issues. Go for it. Should, should be fine. So, Patrick, we, we talked about the guy who provided the most offense today, and that was Trevor's story. There were a few other intriguing moments, and the Rockies continued to show their patience at the plate and, and that they're sticking with that. Obviously, they caught a bit of a break with uh, Corey Kluber coming down uh, with, with some kind of shoulder tightness after the first inning and, you know, them having to go immediately to the bullpen and look for a second with uh, your boy, Joe Palumbo, coming out and <laughs> striking out like four of the first five guys he faced. And then he remembered that 
he can't place every pitch exactly where he wants to. He lost the feel, and once he lost the feel, it was over. They got to him, and <laughs> like, Joey Plums. Joey, Joey Plums. I think his his family definitely owns a pizzeria on Long Island. There's no doubt about it. Joey Plums. He knows his way around a pizza pie. Love it. Love it. Cousin to Chuck. Definitely. Definitely. No way Chuck around. Palumbo's it. cousin. Yes, we we, we 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 figured that out. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's a whole family tree. <laughs> it's funny because we did talk about it after Saturday's game that you know it, this game favored the Rangers. You got again these these two guys who in 2018 they're um, they're neck and neck for the Cy Young Award. Kluber finished in third. He's already has you know two Cy Young Awards. You got Kyle Freeland who finished in fourth. But again, Kluber's got the pedigree. You have maybe more confidence in him bouncing back. He's doing it at home against Freeland. But then, just like that, after one inning, you tap into that bullpen, which was questionable this entire series. And we knew that coming in. And you you look back on Friday's game and you go, man, maybe something could have happened against some of those guys. And there may have been those opportunities. But it's fine. What's done is done, done is done. But once Kluber came out, it totally shifted. I think the momentum, even when it was two, nothing, it was still very questionable. Palumbo totally. did look good uh, in that second inning, but the Rockies, but you knew he wasn't going to pitch the whole game. Yeah. And, and <laughs> there was and no that, chance. And that forced Chris Woodward, the, the Rangers manager to tap into some guys that maybe he wasn't anticipating on using, you know, when, when you have to go to the long reliever in the bullpen, Obviously, something has gone wrong. It doesn't mean it's the end of the world, but it definitely isn't your A plan. And I think, again, the Rockies, that that builds that momentum in the dugout of, all right, look, this guy is out of the game, for for better or worse. Now look who's in. Guys who are not the starters. Guys who only have two pitches. Let's look at the scouting report. Let's do some studying. And if anyone's a quick read, it's Trevor Story, storybook kid. Man, he can flip through a 300-pager in no time because he got those scattering reports on those boys. Two home runs, the king of the game. Yeah, king. That absolutely right. And that, and you're the other thing you're right about. You look back on it and you go, "Wow!" Now they were two key hits in game one away from sweeping this thing, and and yeah. the Rockies look pretty darn solid. And again, be, behind the solid foundation of pitching and defense. But I'll tell you. One thing I really liked about one of the non-Trevor story runs, and that was the the bit of ninth inning insurance that they got there at the end of the game, Patrick. Uh, Daniel Murphy leads off the ninth with a double down the line with the exact kind of swing you want to see on out of Daniel Murphy. That's what he's paid to do. Uh, clearly, we saw today he's not paid to play a whole lot of first base real good. Uh, and I don't know what in the world he was doing on the base paths on that play. Uh, where he, I mean, he got back with a, an exceptionally creative slide, but what a weirdo. Um, <laughs> but still, you got to love him in some ways. When he hits doubles down the right field line that look like perfect golf shots, <laughs> that's what he's on the team to do. And then, uh, now maybe the Rockies would have done this in game three of another season, but I I kind of tend to doubt it, and there's a couple of reasons why I think that's justifiable, but they went with Chris Owings here, the better runner. Uh, He's not a great, great runner, not their best runner. That's not what he came in primarily for. 
Uh, he came in primarily because with Murphy, it's a real easy swap to just have McMahon slide over to first, Owings go over to play second, and Owings is probably your best defensive. No, he is your best defensive uh, middle infielder on the bench. And so, th- but he does run pretty well, right? And actually both things ended up mattering as Tony Walters, again, a guy we are, are projecting is going to hit a little bit more this year, drove one to right, solid hard line drive. Owings comes running around and scores just barely. No chance Murphy scores on that play or Arenado or, or Blackman. That's, you know, that's a, you, you need one of your faster them. guys. Yeah. Hold don't up. even, right. So Owings scores that. And then of course, play one at the bottom of the ninth as a, kind of a hot shot hit right at him over there on second, makes a really nice play and converts it. Rare that it's going to pay off so obviously that you needed both the speed and the defense like that. But in a two-run game in years past, you know, and and with a shorter bench and with a shorter bullpen, I can see saying, I'm not going to take Daniel Murphy out of the game because, you know, one, I've got to trust that my closer can protect a two-run lead. And two, if he doesn't, I'm going to want one of my best bats for potential extra innings, and I'm not trying to run my team into the ground and do all this extra stuff. But in a 60-game season, you make a move like that, it pays off. That's got to feel good as a manager. For sure. And you could look back and say, oh, hey, the Rockies, you know, they were up 4-2 even if that run doesn't score. You know, do do you want Hampson on second base? And then leave Rymack at second and bring in Josh Fuentes at first base. Sure, that would have worked, but now you're using two guys to do the work of one, and maybe those are the two right guys. Maybe they are, but if it, if if it's a two-run ball game and you go to extra innings and you're down that one man, that's obviously a problem. So again, the the move moves work out just right. Again, as you said, Owings was there; they had him in the shift just the right way. Still had to make a good play on the ball. Uh, does exactly that, and it you see why it's going to take all 30 men on this roster to contribute in, in just the right way. And if that's your only opportunity, Chris Owings, you know, he's going to jump on it. He knew what he was signing up for with Ryan McMahon and Daniel Murphy on the right side of the infield with Brendan Rogers, again, in the pipeline waiting to come up and contribute. And you say, that's all right. I want to be a part of something important. So I'm going to stay ready. Uh, And blood black, you know, after seeing this guy for so many years in Arizona, knows this is the right spot so just a great switch where you get the veteran base running you get the good defense and yeah you're right it it never you never see it play off perfectly to a t like that but it does today and the rockies win 5-2 the take to series in texas and it, it just looks like bud black really pushed all the right buttons at the right time this weekend yeah yeah he had a, he had a great series of honestly of even adapting to the new world that we're living in here, as we said, by leaving Almonte and doing this thing with Owings. And uh, so far, you've, I think, got to give him pretty top marks for somebody who's been criticized for being maybe too much of a traditionalist in years past. And the last thing I'll say about the offense, since we got a question about it here from Rockies Club saying, despite Hilliard starting the season with five strikeouts, I think his discipline will improve over time. And we talked about this a little bit with McMahon yesterday, and now we've got to throw... Top end of the conversation, he had two just ugly at-bats today that, you know, while we're going to hyperanalyze everything because it is worth nearly three times as much, and the manager, you're, you're probably going to hear us do more 
discussion of Bud Black's individual moves throughout the course of this year than we would otherwise do because a lot of times those things, you've got to let your team play out over the course of 162. But And it's because of what I'm about to say. Slumps are still going to happen. The fact that these games matter more and that you need to do everything you can to win a series like this doesn't necessarily mean then you bench a guy after going 0-4-7 with six strikeouts in a series. That you ex- Baseball players can't suddenly not be allowed to slump. It's still going to be a part of the game. And so it's odd to say, but you do need to remain patient with these young guys who are striking out too much right now. Tapia swinging at the first pitch after the weird Murphy thing and hitting into a double play. Bad, bad, bad. Um, McMahon... A little lost right now, though. I thought he owned that one. He hit into the roof. I thought he just about got the three zero um, pitch too. And he said, yeah. "All right, hey," and he had the green light to do that, right? And even if he didn't, he had the confidence in himself to do it. So, hey, zero for ten, seven strikeouts this weekend. You're right. You have to give them an opportunity to fail. And Ryan McMahon has proven his abilities well enough. I've been telling everybody. We both have, but I mean in my personal life, people who come to me for fantasy baseball you know, uh, predictions and tips, I'm like, Ryan McMahon's the guy you want to go with. If it doesn't matter who you have at second base. Make that trade, and you're you're gonna you're gonna make a steal on that other guy. So McMahon's gonna be fine. But yeah, zero for ten. Okay, cool. Keep your eye on the box score and and every one of his at bats. You're going to be looking to to see what his approach is at the plate. Same for Hilliard. Same for Tapia. But you've got guys behind them that have an opportunity to contribute. And you know what? If Hilliard doesn't doesn't have the goods on a, on a given day and and you want to sit him against lefties, what have you, as we saw on Saturday, you do have Garrett Hampson there, who's very capable. If you need to give McMahon a day off, Josh Fuentes can go ahead and and stump. Uh, Garrett Hampson again, Chris Owen. Like, there's enough guys where if anyone's struggling, then right. someone else can step up and do it. So, two and one. It's two and one. They're two and one. They're two and one. That's that's that, that's all I can say. <laughs> that, that that's right. All right. And as Wild the Innocent, we're I think we're going to leave off with this. Mark two days off this week, and then none until August thirteenth. And then so. the next off day, September third. 20 straight games in 20 days. So buckle up, (laughs) stick with us. Uh, And we're going to be here doing these live chats after almost every single game. We're going to try to do as many of them as we possibly can. Assume that if the game has just ended, we're going to be here on YouTube, Facebook, and Periscope, chatting with you live, answering questions, breaking the game down. You also want to make sure that you don't miss out on any of the written content that we've got, so subscribe to the dnvr.com. That also gets you all kinds of special deals on our merch. Uh, we got weekly stuff. We got that. In fact, right now, only members can oh, buy yes. our new Larry Walker shirt, Hall of Fame plaque on there, wearing the batting helmet backwards. Right now, exclusive to members of the DNVR.com. So make sure that you're subscribed to that. And again, if, if you click subscribe, and I think the bell icon on the YouTube, it'll make sure to let you know whenever we're going live so you don't miss any of this post-game or maybe even occasionally pre-game or trade deadline breakdowns or this move or that move. What it's gonna? This is clearly going to be an absolutely insane season. We are ready for the ride and we're 
very excited to have all of you along for the ride with us. So just make sure that you're staying absolutely awesome out there. We will stay absolutely Patrick Lyons and Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, we will see you at the ballpark.